We'll be in Judges chapter number 3, Judges chapter number 3 tonight. And uh, we talked about last week in Judges chapter 2 that tailspin to tragedy. Now the nation of Israel disobeyed God, turned their back on God. And uh, we're going to talk about a few things tonight that uh, I want to try to give you some uh, helps this evening, just some things that we can look at some truths to help us throughout this. In Judges chapter number 3, I would invite you to stand with me out of respect for the Word of God, if you will, in Judges chapter number 3. Starting in verse number 1, the Bible said, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them, even as many of Israel as had not known all the wars of Canaan, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them war, at the least such as before knew nothing thereof. Namely, five lords of the Philistines and all the Canaanites and of the Sidonians and of the Hivites and dwelt in, the, in Mount Lebanon from uh, Baal of Hermon unto the entering of Hamath. And they were to prove Israel by them to know whether they would hearken unto the commandments of the Lord, which he commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses." And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. By the way, all of those are the enemies of God. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of, I'm not even going to try to pronounce the word. Uh, you can read it there for yourself. Uh, King of Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served that king eight years. You say, why didn't you try to read the name of that? Because I can't think of that many consonants and vowels all together at one time. All right. But I want to stop there. We're going to talk about some things in this passage of scripture but I want to preach a message to you tonight in life in God's woodshed. Life in God's woodshed. And we're going to talk about that tonight. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for the day that you've given to us. Thank you for the time we have to be in your house tonight. Lord, use me as your mouthpiece this evening. Lord, I stand where the arm of the flesh will fail me. I need your help and I need your touch. Lord, my heart's already been stirred by the wonderful congregational songs. Lord, by the young people that are serving you. Lord, just the sincerity of their heart prayers. Lord, they're singing. Lord, I just thank you so much to see young people that want to serve you. God, I ask you please to be with the message tonight. I pray that you'll help us to learn from Israel's mistakes. Lord, as we read through this, and uh, Lord, help us not to spend our life in your woodshed because of our disobedience. Lord, help us to be able to have the blessings of God upon our life. Lord, may you be pleased with us. But Lord, we live in a generation of faithless people. And without faith, it's impossible to please you. Lord, I know the name of our church is Faith Baptist Church, but Lord, let that not just be a title. Let that be an example of who we are. Lord, people full of faith. And Lord, we love you. And we thank you for your goodness and your mercy to us. Thank you for that cross of redemption we talked about this morning. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you as their personal Lord and Savior, I pray they'll trust you tonight. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. As I was reading this, I began to think about, you know, getting into trouble is no fun. Uh, I remember growing up and things that I used to do and uh, how I used to get in trouble. I was very rare, but uh, I used to get in trouble, and uh, I say it's very rare, and my parents start laughing. Um, I was a mischievous little guy. I uh, did some things that I know I probably shouldn't have done or that I know for sure I shouldn't have done, no probably about it, but uh, getting into trouble is no fun, but that's where we find the nation of Israel. 
in the book of Judges is a nation that is in trouble with their God. And I got to thinking about it in my life this week. Just I was laughing at myself as I was sitting in my office reading through this passage of Scripture. Just some of the knucklehead things I did as a kid. You know, I remember one time helping Dad. Uh, I, w- I don't know how old I was, but I remember he gave me some hammer and nails and said, Here, I want you to go over here. I think I was like four, my mom says. Uh, he says, Here, I go over here and hammer this thing. So, Brother Eddie, I set it down on the air-conditioned unit, and I put a nail there, and I hammer like this, and I get the nail through. I did a good job na- hammering it, but the nail went through and punctured the air-conditioned line and all those things. And my dad was less than pleased with me, you know. And the thing is, you know, I, I got into trouble, okay, because of that. Uh, there was other times I got a new bike and my mom said don't ride that around the block and I thought I could ride it around quick enough uh, you know and all of those things and she goes downstairs in the basement to do laundry and I hop on the bike and I try to ride around the block I made record time and I come back up on the, the porch and I come inside the house and mom's standing in the living room she forgot something in the living room and she caught me and all those things and it was less than pleasurable as well and so getting into trouble is no fun. And there's a lot of things. If I told you all the times I got in trouble, we'd be here till next week, uh, things like that. But you know, uh, there's some things that we, we go through in our lives and we, we get into trouble. And listen, getting into trouble uh, is no fun. You young kids know when you uh, do things against mom and dad's wishes, it's no fun. Life on the home front is not good. Uh, because there's consequences for those actions, you know, and uh, we never enjoy getting in trouble. But uh, here, the nation of Israel, you would think they would learn over time, but you would think we would learn as well, but we don't. Um, you would think that the nation of Israel would learn that, you know, if they stay following the Lord, that God blesses them and gives them a victory over their enemies and uh, all of those things. I was talking with Brother Ron this morning about victory in the Christian life, and I'm glad we can have victory as a Christian. I'm glad there is victory in Jesus. But oftentimes, we spend our life in God's woodshed. And we spend our life there. There are times we go to God's woodshed, and it's a test time that God gives us. But there's other times we go to the woodshed, and it's the chastening hand of God because He loves us. And we're going to talk about some things about life in God's woodshed tonight. But getting into trouble is no fun, and this is where we find the nation of Israel. They've been disobedient to the Lord. And God is about to chasten them. He's going to take them to his woodshed. He's going to take them to a place where they're in bondage to another nation. You just remember all that we had studied through the book of Joshua, how he brought them out of the land of Egypt, and he brought them to the Red Sea, and he parted the Red Sea, and he drowned Pharaoh's army, and then he gave them water, and he gave them manna, and he led them through the wilderness through all this time. He made that bitter water sweet for them. He did all of those things, and he brought them to the Jordan River, and they crossed the Jordan River, and then he fought against Jericho and fought against all these other battles, and and God blessed the nation of Israel as they followed him. As they followed him and they were obedient to him and they did the things that God wanted them to do, God's hand was upon him. He blessed them. He helped them along the way and he showed them his goodness throughout all of this time. You think all this time they wandered through the wilderness, they learned. But now we're at a reading, even in the chapter number two, it said there was another generation who knew not the Lord. And that saddens me to know that all of this generation that saw God do some wonderful things, their kids beyond them and beyond them and beyond them just got to the point where they didn't even know God. And, you know, we can look at the nation of Israel and think, well, how in the world could you watch God part the Red Sea and drown Pharaoh's army and watch God bring water from a rock and watch God send manna and quail from the sky and watch God lead you by a pillar of cloud at night and uh, a fire uh, at night, a pillar of cloud by day and all those things that God did for you and uh, all the stuff that God uh, had had brought you through and the enemies and the, the battles that he triumphed over in your life and all these things how could your kids not know who God is you know but we have a generation now of people that are saved born again children of God and their young people know not God and we're just like the nation of Israel but I want to learn some lessons uh, from the mistakes that Israel makes. you know one of the 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 dumbest things anybody could ever say is it's my life I'll learn from my own mistakes the smartest thing you can say is I'm going to learn from other people's mistakes with my life. You know, and as we see the nation of Israel and we watch the chastening hand of God in their life, 
I need you to understand that these are there. God placed them here for us to see what happened in their life because of disobedience. But what God does when we come back in repentance. See, verse number 9 says, And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. And the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel, who delivered them, even Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. Listen, any time that we come to God, just like 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, God puts us through His spiritual woodshed to bring us to the place of repentance. He wants us to come back to Him. And the nation of Israel is here. Here's an entire generation that had not seen God's power. They had not seen God conquer and defeat their enemies. They hadn't seen any of that. Uh, They were, I guess, so far as to even forsake God and to serve other false gods. That's how far away they have gotten. Not only did they not see God defeat the enemies, but they got so far away that they began to serve the other gods of their enemies. Look at verse number 5. It says, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. All of those are enemies of God. And it says, And they took their daughters to be their wives, and gave their daughters to their sons, and served their God. Now this is a side note. The Bible tells us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. The fact of the matter is, there's always chaos when somebody who's saved marries somebody who's not saved. There's chaos there. Now, can this person get saved? Sure they can. But the fact is, they were marrying people that were of the enemies of God. They were taking them in and making it part of uh, their life. And it said, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. Here they are now. They're not just dwelling with the enemy They're acting like the enemy. They're mimicking and doing the things that the enemy did. The enemy of God. See, sin takes you farther than you ever want to go. You can start off saying, oh, well, it's not going to bother me much if I just dabble in the world for a little bit. But then eventually you look down the road and you see somebody who's so far down into sin that they're acting just like the world's acting. They're doing just like the world is and they're doing all the things that the world's doing. And they say, how, far, how did they get that direction? I'll tell you how they got that direction. They started leaning that direction. They started heading one step in that direction, got them to where they were. But now their generation has not seen God's power and the conquering and defeating of their enemies. They were serving the other gods, all of these things. And God was doing some things in their life, put some obstacles in their life, part of it to develop them, to teach them. Look at verse number 2, or verse 1 and 2. It says this, Now these are the nations which the Lord left to prove Israel by them. So you know what he's doing is he left these nations here, these enemies here. God didn't defeat these enemies for the nation of Israel because he said, listen, they got to learn how to fight a battle. They got to learn how to stand on their own two feet. They got to learn that even though my power can rest upon them, they got to learn how to be strong. They got to learn how to fight some fights. Now listen, we can't do things and defeat the enemy of God in our own strength and our own power. But God said he did it to prove Israel. He did it to try Israel. See, God tells us to prove him on occasion, doesn't he? When, when we give and we uh, give with a cheerful heart, he says, prove me to see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing you're unable to receive. God tells us to prove him. He says, he says to try him. And listen, the thing is, God sometimes, we're going to learn some lessons from this. But in verse 1, it said he did it to prove Israel by them. And then in verse 2, only that the generations of the children of Israel might know to teach them what? To teach them how to fight. To teach them war. See, the Bible tells us to fight the good fight of faith. The Bible tells us to be strong soldiers of Jesus Christ. We're to be strong and very courageous and having done all to stand. We're supposed to do that as, our, as children of God, but if we never face battles, we never learn how to fight. We never learn uh, how to win or get the victory if we never have a problem that we're dealing with. And we were talking about besetting sins 
uh, this morning a little bit and things. And let me just clarify something. This is a rabbit went by, but I feel like I need to address it just in case anybody else is confused. Just because somebody has a besetting sin, something that just so easily beset them, that does not mean you have to fall into that sin all the time. You understand that? A besetting sin is the sin that affects you more than any other sin. That thing that you struggle with more than anything. That's why it says uh, that, that sin would just so easily beset us. The thing that, that's the easiest thing to get you off course. But we can have victory over besetting sins. We don't have to fall into those sins all the time. Why? Because we have the one who is victory. And that's the Lord Jesus. Okay, yes, we're flesh, but if we're walking in the flesh, we're going to yield to these besetting sins. But if we're walking to the Spirit, we're going to resist those things and follow the Lord. So we can have victory. And uh, some people uh, have said, well, you just are going to have to fall into it because that's your besetting sin. That's a lie of the devil. The fact is you can have victory through the Lord. Okay, and we ought to get victory through him. But there's some things I want to teach you tonight just out of this. It said, but the Lord was using these things. I was intrigued by these first two verses where it said to prove Israel by them. And then that Israel might know to teach them war. At least such as before knew nothing of. And said so they knew nothing of war. All they knew was bondage. All they knew was serving false gods. All they knew was the situation that they're in right now. And I want to teach us uh, four lessons tonight. Firstly, I want you to see that the Lord may leave obstacles in your life for the purpose of developing faith and trust in Him and to develop obedience and maturity. See, He said He did it to prove Israel, to teach them war. To teach them those things. And sometimes, just because we have a tragedy coming doesn't mean God's chastening you. It could mean God's just trying to teach you. God's just trying to teach you something. He's trying to make you a strong soldier for Him. You say, well, what could this be? What could this thing that I have to have faith? Maybe it's a hostile person uh, at work or something that comes after you because of your faith. Maybe it's a difficult situation that you're dealing with at work or at home or at school or maybe in your marriage or maybe you have a health situation or a financial problem or some of those things. But I want you to look at 2 Timothy uh, chapter number 2 quickly. 2 Timothy chapter number 2. First lesson tonight is that the Lord may leave obstacles in your life for the purpose of developing your faith and trust in Him and strengthening your obedience and spiritual maturity. See, we need to be strong in the Lord. Look what the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And these things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Listen, just because somebody's going through a trial, don't be quick to judge them and say God's putting them through that because they're doing wrong. Remember Job's friends. You must be living a wicked life because all the things that God's doing in your life. No, God was proving Job. God was proving the sincerity of Job's heart. Now, the nation of Israel, they turned away from God. We're going to see God's chastening hand. But it said that God did this to prove them, to teach them war, to allow them to start learning some lessons that were going to help them. And you know, there's times that we face things in our life because God wants to strengthen us. God wants to help us to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He wants us to have uh, that thing. And he said, now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Listen, in the, in the fight of Christianity, in the fight for the cause of the Lord, there's going to be hardness that we have to endure. There's going to be things that come in our life that are going to be very difficult for us. But if we follow the Lord, we're able to get through it victorious on the other side. See, the nation of Israel was being tested to see if they would keep their hearts towards God. And they failed miserably because they chose other gods and they turned away from God. And they turned away from their God, it said in that chapter. Uh, it says, uh, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God. 
and serve Balaam and groves. Listen, they didn't trust in the God that they heard about, that they knew had brought their families over and brought them to where they are now. No, they just mingled with the enemy. And rather than uh, being, when the enemy's coming, rather than fighting against it and learning how to be strong in the Lord and in His might, they submitted to it. And they adapted to it. You understand, we're not supposed to adapt to the world. We're not supposed to mimic the world and adapt to what they're doing and develop their philosophies. We're supposed to resist it. Why? Am I saying that if somebody comes up and they're asking questions about God that we say, no, I'm not allowed to talk to you? No, that's not what we're to do. But we're not to live amongst the enemies of the world and develop the philosophies this enemies uh, uh, called the world that's the enemy of God. We're not supposed to live that way because we're, we're God's children. And God sometimes, though, puts oppression and puts adversity or allows that in our life not to make us stumble into sin, but to teach us how to war and to prove us. That's sometimes what God does. But secondly, God allows obstacles in our lives for the purpose of chastening. Not, not just to prove us sometimes, but then when we, so, uh, when we submit to that, that enemy that God's trying to help us to learn to war with, and we submit to that, and we go off living our life against God, disobedient to Him. God allows obstacles in our life for the purpose of, ch- uh, of chastisement because we've been disobedient. You understand, God spanks His children. God spanks His children. Look at Hebrews chapter number 12. All the kids in this room tonight are saying, oh man. Preacher's talking about spanking the children. Hebrews 12, verse number 5. Let's start in verse 4, actually. It says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaking unto you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, for... Uh, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he of whom the father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. See this, I, I, I caught my dad. It did please him to spank me. See that? It says that there. Verse 10. For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. See, that's God's word there, dad. I got you on that one. See that? It says, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. See, he lied when he said this hurts me more than it hurts you. See that kind of thing? I see that now. He needs to be on the altar tonight. Praise the Lord for that. Now verse 11. Now no chastening for the present seemed to be joyous but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You see what verse 11 said? Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous but grievous. Listen, when you... Get under the chastening hand of God. It's not pleasurable. It's grievous. But afterward, if you'll take the correction and learn from the correction, it becometh a peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which they are exercised thereby. So how do we know if it's God's chastening hand, or how do we know if it's God's testing? Let me give you some ideas that will help you along the way. First, examine yourself. Examine yourself. You say, what are you talking about, examine myself? Well, ask the Lord to try you. Know your heart. To see if there be any wicked way in you. Because if there's something in you that is against what God wants, God's going to chasten his children because he loves his children. And he wants his children to come back to him. 
See, I was joking about that verse. I don't believe my dad found pleasure in uh, disciplining me. But the thing is, as much as my dad disciplined me for my good to teach me, he did it because he loved me and he didn't want me to get out and do the wrong things. So much more does God chasten his children whom he loves. And the fact is that God does it uh, to help us along the way. But how do we know if it's just God trying us or testing us in something? Or how do we know if it's God's chastening hand? First off, I want you to examine yourself and judge yourself. Ask the Lord this to show you. Ask Him to show you. But be careful if you ask God that. Because He will. He will. If you say, Lord, show me, try me, know my heart, see if there be any wicked way in me, you better get ready for the results. Because through the word of God and through godly counselors or through uh, friends in Christ that iron sharpeneth iron, God's going to use somebody or his word to show you that there's something that needs to be fixed. There's something that needs to be changed. And the Holy Spirit of God, through the word of God, will begin to prick your heart and show you, hey, there's something that needs to be put on that altar. There's something that you need to set aside. See, God allows obstacles in our lives for the purpose of chastisement. But God also allows obstacles in our life for the purpose of teaching us and training us. So to know the difference. See, in the nation of Israel, first off, God did it to prove them, to try them, to teach them, to be strong. But they turned away and they served other gods. And look what happened when they did that. Verse 8, therefore... The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. You know what that means? God was really mad. God was really upset with the nation of Israel. What he had allowed in their life to train them to be strong, to resist the the enemies of God and to follow after him, the things that he did to, to help make them strong, they just pushed God away. And went towards the enemies of God. And it said the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel. And he sold them into the hand of the king of Mesopotamia. You know what? God allowed them to be in bondage this time to this king of Mesopotamia. He allowed them for eight years to be under this dictatorship rule. He allowed them to to have to be servants to this king in this area. And why did God do that? Because they didn't listen to God's teaching and training. So God had to chastise them to try to help get them back. And you know, sometimes we're, we're talking to God and we're asking God, God, why is this happening to me? And it seems like God's not answering. It seems like God's not there. You ever been there before? You ever been in a place in your life where it just seems like all of it's dumping on top of you and it just seems like you're talking to God and it seems like God's not there and, well, God, why aren't you listening to me? And I heard a statement one time, a quote that said this, the teacher's always silent during the test. When a teacher gives the students a test, the teacher's not going to stand there and say, by the way, put letter A here and put letter C here and put this answer here. No, the teacher's silent during that time because it's a time for you to see how you've studied, to see how you've worked, to see how you've trained to pass the test. But once that testing time hasn't, hasn't worked and it comes to the place where you've resisted him and you haven't taken the training and you go off your own way and do your own thing, If you're God's child, he's going to chasten you. Because the Bible says this, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Listen, if God doesn't chasten you, I'd check my salvation. Because it says that if if you're not chastened of God, it said, then you're bastards and not sons. You know what that means? You're fatherless children. You don't have a heavenly father. There's something about you. If God's not going to chasten you, because you know he loves those (laughs) that are his children. And so if God's not chastening you, I would really check my salvation. God allows these obstacles for the purpose of chastisement to help train us and teach us. Listen, that's why it's so important for us to get into the Word of God. We're going to talk about some other things about that here in a few minutes. Thirdly, I want you to know that Israel got into trouble because they tried to serve two masters. They had two masters, God and they wanted both. They wanted both. Look at Matthew 6, 24. 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Now, let me ask you a question before we start. Whose word are we reading? God's word. Not Pastor Caldwell's word. Not your word. Not man's word. God's word. No man can serve two masters. Now, hold on a second. It did not say no man may serve two masters. It said, Ken, we don't have the ability to serve two. You understand that? We can't do it. We can think we are. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he would hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. It didn't say that you're you're, you're trying to serve both. No, it said you can't. You can't do both. You can't have the best of both worlds and God be okay with that. You either serve God or you're serving Satan. You're serving God or flesh. There is no middle ground. When he told the church of Laodicea that they, I would that you were cold or hot, what he's saying is you're trying to serve two masters, but you can't do it. He said, it disgusts me when you try to act like you're my children and and all that you love me, but yet you want to serve the world and do those things as well. You're you're not serving me. You're not pleasing me. You're serving self and sin. And we have to understand this, that the nation of Israel, they wanted to do both and wanted God's blessing. They wanted God to provide for them and to be there for them, but they also wanted to take the pleasures of the world upon themselves. They wanted to serve other gods as well. They wanted to elevate other things in their life that became more important to God. And they're supposed to just say, hey, God, you're supposed to bless me for this. God doesn't do that. And when God's children do the same thing on a regular basis. And we can say, well, no, we don't. We don't go serve Balaam and other gods. No, we just serve the God of TV or Facebook or social media, those gods in our life. We serve the God of a smartphone. And we say, preacher, you're just meddling now. I'm not wrong, am I? The fact of the matter is there's more people that know more about what cable channels there are than they know about how many chapters are in the Bible or how many books are in the Bible. They can tell you where, man, ESPN is on this channel, it comes on at this time, and this sport's on this thing, and they can tell you all about that, or they can tell you in whatever video game what level this is and how you're supposed to do this and how you're supposed to do that, man. And that stuff just consumes them. But you say, what's Romans 3.23 say? There's like, oh, I'm not Roman. I don't know. Or you ask them a question about, you know, what's the Bible say about what what is impossible to please God? And they're like, "Uh, oh, the Bible, Jesus, uh, those spiritual answers that you get, you know, all the time. God, Jesus, and the Bible. Those are the three answers to every Bible question, right? The fact is, we can laugh about those things, but it's, it's an epidemic throughout our nation. Is there's a bunch of people that want to have the best of both worlds. They want to experience the pleasures of sin for a season and the blessings of God all at the same time. And you can't have them. You can't have them. No man can serve two masters. Straddling the fence... Is what the nation of Israel wanted to do. But Israel, God's people, left their first love. They left God. And in Revelations 2, verse 4 and 5, talks about the church of Ephesus. He said they have left their first love. And I wonder what would happen if we lose our first love. What are some signs? To know in our life, if, I haven't, if I've left my first love. Well, first off, the Lord isn't as special to you as he used to be. You leave your first love, guess what happens? Your love for him isn't as special as it used to be. You remember when you first got saved how special God was to you? You remember how important God was to you? Man, that day you realized you were a sinner in need of a Savior. 
That day you realized that you were lost and undone and on your way to hell. And you came to the realization that without Christ, I'm going to spend eternity in a place called hell. And you put your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Man, that day, how excited you were and how special the Lord was to you. And now that's just an old hat sitting up on a shelf. I've been saved so long, preacher, now that... You know, I don't have joy in my salvation anymore. You know why you don't have joy in your salvation? Because you left your first love. Listen, you ought to go to him every day. You ought to love him every day. I've been married to that lady right there for 18 years. I love her more today than I've ever loved her. You say, why? Because she put up with me for 18 years. I'm telling you, I I love her more today than I've ever loved her. You know why? Because we have a relationship. We communicate. We talk together. Those things. Understand this. If you come to the place where God's not as important to you as he once was, you've left your first love and you're on a road to disaster. Just like the nation of Israel. See, they left their God. And they served Balaam and groves. How do I know if I've left my first love? Well, the Lord's not as special as he used to be. Here's another way to tell you spend less time in your Bible and in prayer. You spend less time on your knees talking to him and less time in his word letting him talk to you. How do I know, Brother Nick, if, I'm, if I've left my first love? How do I know if my relationship with God is heading for disaster? You don't pray like you should and you don't read your Bible like you should. And guess what? Every one of us can say we've been guilty. Every one of us can. But you know what? We have to come to the place where this Bible becomes important to us. Prayer becomes important to us. That relationship, you can't have a relationship without communication. And we need to communicate with God. Let Him communicate through His Word and we communicate with Him through prayer. Here's another way to tell if you've left your first love. Not only the Lord isn't as special to you as He used to be. Not only do you spend less time in His Word and in prayer. But you get uncomfortable around other Christians and you have a tendency to leave church because you just feel uncomfortable and out of place. Wait, why, why is it that God's children feel out of place in God's house? I wonder why. Why can you come to a place where the word of God is being preached and you feel uncomfortable? You're either lost or you're away from God. That's why you feel uncomfortable. Listen, even if our toes get stepped on, if we're right with God, we rejoice in the fact that the Holy Spirit uh, pricks our hearts and that the, the Holy Spirit is still there trying to help teach us and train us and mold us into what He wants us to be. But if we get uncomfortable, well, I just, I don't, I don't like going to church because I just, I, I feel out of place. How do you feel out of place when the one living inside of you is the one who authors this book? And the one who breathes upon this book. How do you feel out of place when this word is being preached and he's being sung about and his praises are being lifted up? How do you feel out of place? I'll tell you why. You left your first love. He's not as special to you. You're not spending time in scripture and in prayer. And you feel uncomfortable around God's people because you feel intimidated by their Christianity. You know why that happens? Because we're turning towards groves. And different things. And we're not loving our God. We're not loving our God. I've had people leave church before. And I've asked them. You know what's wrong? Why'd you leave? And they say well I just felt uncomfortable. Well how. Why'd you feel uncomfortable? I don't know. It just seemed like. You always preach about my sin. You always preach about what I'm doing wrong. Like. Well, you just realized and admitted that you're living in sin. And you wonder why you feel uncomfortable. Of course, if you're God's child and you're living in sin, you're going to feel uncomfortable because he's chastening you. You're going to feel uncomfortable about that. Remember, the chastening hand of God is grievous for a time. But what's the purpose? That you have a peaceable fruit. That God can use it to help you. Here's another one. How do I know if I've left my first love? sinful habits begin to surface up in your life again those things that you maybe once had victory over that are starting to come back up they're starting to take root in your life again those sinful habits that start in your life listen that's what happened in the nation of israel as you read through their life all these things begin to just go on a cycle 
anytime they turned away from God, they left their first love, what happened? All these things began to take place. They began to get uncomfortable. They began to do all these things. And now here they are starting these habits again, serving false gods, turning their, <laughs> living a life of wickedness. These are just a few things that could happen. Listen, there's a list of all these things, and there's more things we could talk about tonight. I'm not going to do that for sake of time. But I do have a question. Are any of these things happening to you? Have you left your first love? How do I know, preacher? Do you get uncomfortable in church? Do you feel uncomfortable around God's people? Are these sinful habits beginning to pop up in your life again? Are you spending less time in the Word of God and in prayer? Is God not as special to you as He used to be? Those are ways to tell that if you've left your first love. Fourthly, when we disobey God, we lose ground in our life. We take steps back. Listen, we lose power. They hadn't known the power of God. They hadn't seen the victory that God brought. Why? Because they left their first love. They stepped back. They took some steps back, not forward. They were sliding away rather than gaining ground. But when we disobey God, we lose ground in our spiritual life. We lose power. We lose the blessings. We lose our, our influence for Christ. You ever seen somebody who, man, they had an impact for God, and all of a sudden they allowed sin in their life, made some bad decisions, and now they don't have as much influence for God as they once had? It happens, doesn't it? It takes a lifetime to build a testimony, but it takes a second to destroy what, what took a lifetime to build. That's why so, we've got to be so careful in our walk with God. That's why we've got to keep our eyes pressed towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Satan's going to do everything he can to trip us up. But as God's children, listen, we ought not to be backing up. We ought to be going forward. The Bible warns us about uh, losing ground. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse number 22 of Ephesians 4. It says that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corruptible according to the deceitful lust. Telling us get rid of those things because there's something different. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. He said and that you put on the new man, which is after God, is created in righteousness and true holiness. Wherefore, putting away lying, speaking every man truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Look what it said. Neither give place to the devil. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather, uh, uh, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good that he might have to give to him that needeth. Let no corruptible communication, corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. What it's saying is, listen, don't give place to the devil. Don't lose ground to Satan. Let's keep putting on the new man. In Christ. Let's keep renewing our mind daily, being renewed in this righteousness that's, that comes through the Lord. We have to put off those things and be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And then look at Colossians chapter 2. Look what verse 18 says. Let no man beguile you of your reward in voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by, the, by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increasing, uh, increaseth with the increase of God. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ, from the rudiments of this world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to the ordinance? Touch not, taste not, handle not. He's telling us to do all those things, but he said this, let no man beguile you. And what he said is, don't get tripped up and deceived by thinking you're more high, that you're better than you are, or stronger than you are, 
Just trust God. Don't go the way of the world. Stick with God. Stick with God. So we're not to be beguiled. He, don't, he tells us not to give place to the devil. So what are we supposed to be? Listen, we're supposed to be swimming for God, not sinking. We're not supposed to be sinking. We're supposed to be developing, not declining. We're supposed to be stretching, not shrinking. I'm doing a good job at that, by the way. I'm stretching, not shrinking, praise the Lord. Physically, I need to be doing it spiritually. Um, We need to be flourishing, not fading. We need to be working, not withering. We need to be helping the cause of Christ, not hindering the cause of Christ. See, when we disobey God, we lose ground in our spiritual life. The nation of Israel was given the land of Canaan. God promised it to them. But now, why were they living with their enemies? Why were they going through all of this stuff? I'll tell you why, because they disobeyed God. And they turned their back on God. And they had to live this eight years of bondage in God's spiritual woodshed. And then it says in verse 9, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. Listen, when you're in God's woodshed, it's going to bring tears. When you're in God's woodshed, it's going to bring some grief in your life. But it can produce a peaceable fruit. Because when we come to God with repentance, it said the Lord raised up a deliverer to the children of Israel. I'm glad we have a deliverer named Jesus. That if we come to him, he's willing to forgive us and to pick us back up and to set our feet on a solid rock and establish our going and put that new song in our heart and help us along the way. And he he guides us if we'll follow him. So let me ask you this question. Where are you? Are obstacles in your life God's testing or are they God's chastening? Have you lost your first love? Are you trying to serve two masters? Have you lost spiritual ground? Listen, these are how you can tell. Well, what what is it? Is it a test or is it a chastening? Examine yourself. Oh, you may have it hidden from everybody on the outside. But the Lord looketh upon the heart. And the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you is going to tell you exactly what it is that you need to get rid of. You know why we don't? We're afraid to ask God that. We're afraid to tell God, God, try me. Know my heart. See if there be any wicked way in me. Because if you do, guess what? The Holy Spirit who loves you is going to show you. He's going to show you. Now listen, if there's no sin in your life and you're, you're doing the best you can for the Lord and you're serving Him, maybe it's just a test to prove you, to strengthen you, to teach you how to war, to teach you how to fight the good fight of faith. But listen, revival can only come when the chastening hand of God happens in our life and we yield to the Lord and we get rid of these things. Listen, if... If you've lost your first love and you're trying to serve two gods and, or two masters and you, you, you've lost spiritual ground, here's how, here's how you can fix that. Acknowledge the problem. Admit it to the Lord. Just acknowledge it. I have a problem. You understand nobody can be saved till they acknowledge they're lost. And no man can get forgiveness until they acknowledge there's a problem. So acknowledge the problem. Confess it to God, get back to the Bible, get back to church, remove the hindrances that are in your life, get rid of those things, don't keep them around you and expect it to be okay, get rid of those things. And he says that if we confess our sins, and we get rid of them, the Lord tells us that whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. That's a promise of God. Listen, if you'll confess and forsake it, not just confess it. There was a dual thing there. Acknowledge the problem, confess it to God, and forsake it. Turn away from it. God said, you shall have mercy. God will give mercy. And when the nation of Israel cried out unto the Lord, the Lord raised a deliverer who delivered them out of bondage. And listen, when when the bondage of sin is in our life, 
We need to acknowledge the problem. Confess it to God. Get back to our relationship with Him and our Bible reading and our prayer. Remove those hindrances and serve the Lord with all your heart. Love Him with your whole heart and soul. And serve Him with compassion and with that zeal in your heart that only comes. You, know, you understand somebody who says, well, I don't have any zeal for the Lord anymore. I can tell you why you don't have zeal for the Lord anymore. Because you left your first love. Because if you love the Lord the way you're supposed to love the Lord, you're going to be zealous in serving Him. You're going to be zealous in doing things for Him. You say, preacher, I don't agree with that. You don't have to agree with it, but I'll give you an example physically because I love that lady right there. I, I love doing things for her. There's Love just motivates me to try to please her. Why? Because I love her. My kids, I love my kids. And you know what? That love for them motivates me to want to do things for them because I love them and I care about them. And the same is true in your life if you'll be honest about it. And the fact of the matter is when you love God, Paul said, the love of Christ constrained me. God's love, the love I have for him, it just compels me and motivates me to go on for him. And he said, I fought a good fight and I finished my course and I kept the face. You remember the thorn of the flesh in Paul's side? This, this thorn that Paul had that he asked the Lord to remove? And God said, my grace is sufficient for thee. See, Paul lived with a thorn in his flesh. What is it? I don't know. But God left it there to prove him, to test him. And Paul, at the end of his life, you know what he could say? I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. And because of that, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. You understand, there's a finish line one day. And I don't want to stand before God not submitting to hit the chastening of the Lord and coming back to him. Or taking his testing time in my life and failing the test. I want to come triumphant through it in the power of the Lord. Well, how do I do that? I keep my first love exactly where it's supposed to be. I love him with all my heart, with all my soul, and with all my mind. That's what you're supposed to do. You understand that is the first and great commandment. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So let's just get honest tonight. Do you love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind? The Holy Spirit just told you whether you do or not. And if you don't, you have an opportunity to fix that tonight. Heads bowed, eyes closed.